welcome to the Unqualified Sports Show for August 15th, 2020. I am your host, Nate Snitko, and with me as always is my partner in crime, Forrest James. This is kind of sports. <laughs> we don't really get motorsports sports here, but we're going to go with it. Uh, as you may have noticed, things are a little bit different from the way that we normally sound. We are, of course, recording remotely in the face of COVID, but there are actual sports to talk about, so let's get started, shall we? Yay! Uh, we're going to start today with the Boston Bruins, who lose the second game of their first round of the Stanley Cup Finals to the Carolina Hurricanes by a final score of 3-2. to two. Uh, No David Pasternak in this one. He was a surprise scratch basically right before the game. Um, the Bruins got up early on this one, uh, having a 1-0 lead, uh, basically straight out of the gate, but unfortunately they end up falling uh, to by a total of three to two over the course of the game. I guess what's nice about this one is they did not require them to go to double overtime, uh, which the previous game did. Um, I don't know. They, they won man, when like, they did that. <laughs> it's true. I will say this, which is they looked a lot better against Carolina than they did in the round robin to determine seeding. Uh, they had been the first seed going into the round robin, but basically went a straight zero and four. Uh, against the other teams for that top spot in the East, which is why they are currently uh, playing in the fourth seed against Carolina. Um, I have to say, I, I'm glad that they seem to have been able to turn it on over these last couple of games. They've looked a lot better, uh, even without uh, David Pasternak for the last game compared to where they were before that. Um, Rask has not been uh, terribly great for them so far this uh this playoffs, but well, that won't be a problem as we'll talk about in a moment. Um, spoilers. Uh, he's not going to be playing for them at all. Uh, the remainder of the playoffs, but, uh, so far I'm okay with them going one and one. This is a little bit of a weird situation because this, these are all effectively neutral site games, right? Like there yeah, is yeah. no, there's no home ice here. So, uh, you know, I actually think that this does, you know, have a pretty good situation for the Bruins who traditionally have not been particularly good on the road uh, in the playoffs. So we'll have to keep an eye on this as that goes forward. Are they all technically um, on the road though? I mean, wouldn't a neutral site just be on the road? I don't think so because I think, I do think the crowd reaction uh, actually does affect the game. Not so much as it affects the players, but I'm one of those people who does think that the crowd reaction tends to affect the reps more than it probably should. Okay. Um, right. And I'll tell yeah. you one thing that we've seen so far in this uh, in this postseason is that the refs are calling a lot more, it seems like, than they would have uh, in previous years. Um, there have been a lot of criticisms levied at the refs, but I have to be honest with you. Like, I don't get the distinct impression that any one team is getting the benefit of the doubt in this one. Um if you had asked me the same thing about the NBA when the NBA bubble first started, that might not have been the case. But no, the NHL seems to have been doing a pretty good job of presenting a, a, a watchable, you know, pretty even product all the way around so far. I've, I've actually been, you know, pretty happy so far with the, the level of play, even if it's really weird to just see nobody in the stands when you're watching one of these games. Uh, as mentioned, David Pasternak was out for this game. Uh, he was a scratch basically right before uh, the second game of the series. Um, the start time for the third game of the series has already come. They're actually playing right now. And, uh, but I did not see an announcement as to whether or not he was going to be on the ice um, at all The uh, you know uh, before the, the game actually started. So... Hopefully he was able to get in there. Uh, I'm looking at it right now, and it does not look as though he appears on their roster. So it looks like he did end up missing today's game. Uh, right now they are currently playing, so I don't really want to do a whole lot of reporting because obviously anything that you hear about the current game will be out of date by the time that they get there. But, uh, it, you know, Pasternak's a big loss for them. He is by far their most talented scorer and, and was one of the two best scores in the league this year he basically tied for the rocket richard trophy with uh, alex ovechkin so losing a guy who is a significant portion of their offense is uh, is a real problem for what it's worth looking at the uh the the game as it is going on right now uh it looks like they've got some pretty decent 
you know, um, lines running out there right now. Um, it looks like uh, they have um, Jack Stegnicka uh, sitting that up there on uh, on a line with them at the moment. So they've got some decent scoring, but obviously losing Pasternak is a, a real big deal for a, for a team that legitimately has, you know, Stanley Cup aspirations. So we'll keep that out. And as previously mentioned, Tuka Rask uh, opted out of the Stanley Cup playoffs basically two hours before uh, the start of Game 3. He said uh, in a statement that was released by the Bruins, he wants to be with his teammates competing, um, but at this moment there are things more important in hockey in my life, and that is being with my family. Uh, He has indeed departed the NHL bubble, which means that he is basically ineligible to return at all. for the Bruins' part, they were disappointed, but were supportive. Uh, General Manager Don Sweeney uh, had a, 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 you know, an address to the media where he said, "We understand completely where he's coming from. That you know, it was being that it was a, a difficult decision for him, but that they are in full support of him." You and I are, are a little bit less sanguine than the Boston Bruins are in this particular case. This seems like a real big deal. Um, he is one of the best postseason goalies that is out there, even if he does yeah. has had a little bit of a trouble getting over the hump in the Stanley Cup finals, it's a big deal for him to go missing. And I, I fully expect there to be a lot of fan backlash, especially considering the circumstances. It would be one thing if he had decided not to show up to the bubble in the first place, but to leave after the series started and was hotly contested seems unwise to me. I have to be honest. Well, and his, his effort levels could could be put into question for the whole round robin part too. Indeed, he had a he had a uh, a quote before game uh, excuse me after game two that likened the the series to exhibition. Just definitely not what you want to hear if you're relying on Tuka Rask to be a you know one the the postseason goalie that he has been in previous postseasons. I think you and I both feel like this is definitely going to sort of taint his legacy as a as a goalie with uh, with the way that fans look at him, whether or not that's that's right. I don't, I'm not going to make any judgment there at this point, regardless, until I get a little bit more detail about why he felt the need to leave. But, like, there are a lot of real angry Bruins fans out there right I, now. And, and I, I, totally I, can't, I can't say that I'm, you know, I was going to say, I can't say that I'm, you know, that I'm, I, I wouldn't, you know, that I'm also not disappointed. Like, it's entirely understandable for him to, for, 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 for people to be mad that he left them in such a lurch. I mean, I get that this is an odd time to be playing. Like, I'm not even talking about because of COVID and stuff like that. Just the at the at this point in the year, they're still playing hockey technically. Mm-hmm. Like, right. so I get that, that and, and maybe that's a part of it. Like, I just don't see how this comes out as anything but like the start of his retirement announcement. I, see, I, don't I, I just really don't see how he comes back from this. Uh, yeah, even... I, I do agree that he might be done in Boston. It wouldn't surprise me. You know, we looked up uh, before this that he has one year left on his deal. So I, I would imagine that just for $7 million, he'll want it to play that out. But it wouldn't surprise me to find out that uh, you know they, they pursue a trade for him in what passes for this upcoming offseason. I will say, I don't think this is necessarily the worst thing for the Bruins. One of my biggest concerns coming into this postseason is that Tuka Rask traditionally has been a very slow start goalie. He's somebody who does need to get games underneath him to really play at his best. And I didn't think that the four games of the round robin were going to be it. Going to Yaroslav Halak, I don't think is necessarily the worst thing that could happen to them. One of the smart things that the Bruins have done the last few seasons is to have somebody who can come in and be a quality replacement for him. And frankly, if Rask is going to be as bad as he's been, this could be a, you know, a, a good silver lining for the Bruins in the playoffs. You know, I, I I hate to sort of, you know, to put it that way because, I, you know, Rask is one of my favorite Boston Bruins. But also, like, if you're going to have a, a tough time getting started in the Stanley Cup playoffs, as weird as it is, maybe you shouldn't be the one starting. Yeah, that makes sense. I just don't I just don't see what team would want him for a trade. Because I, I, mean, because I, I guess he would make a great number two goalie for some team at that point because you couldn't right. you couldn't rely on him to be your uh, Stanley Cup you know playoff kind of goalie you could you couldn't you can't right mm-hmm. and and that comes in part whether how well they do without him I guess uh, on the on the Bruins side. 
Because if they, they if are... they go pretty if they go pretty deep into it without him, then could you say that he's a non-factor then? I mean, I like I said, I mean, it's kind of a no-win scenario for him because if they don't do well, he betrayed them when they needed him the most. If they win at all, then he was exactly what all of his critics said that he was the whole time, which is somebody who was good in games one through six but could not get it done in the Stanley Cup Finals. And, man, that's kind of a weird place to be. Uh, this is This is an odd situation. The thing that does bother me about this the most, frankly, is that it leaves them with very little, you know, very little to work with as far as a backup's concerned. The guy who they have currently playing backup for them is Dan Vladar, who was a uh, AHL goalie most of the season this year. Vladar, to the best of my knowledge, has absolutely no games under his belt as an NHL. Uh, and, and yeah, he has. He spent most of this season bouncing between the, the Providence Bruins and the Atlantic Gladiators down the ECHL. Well, that's that's being unfair to him. He did 25 games as a, in, with the Providence Bruins. He played one game of the Atlanta Gladiators, I believe, on a rehab assignment. Now, he was good at the AHL level. He posted a 930, uh, 936 save percentage this year down there. But there's a big difference between the AHL and the NHL Stanley Cup final, uh, you know, playoffs. So if they have to go to him abruptly, like that could be a real problem for a team that you know generally – likes to have depth I, I mean game four of the stanley cup finals is a great time to put in that put him in for his debut yeah. let's do it let's do I that mean, hopefully it won't get that far right like halak is a good goalie halak is somebody who has not been ridden like a rented mule all year ideally he will stay healthy for the for the entire stretch of the of the playoffs and i have to say like I think that it was the smartest thing, one of the smartest things that Don Sweeney has done as a GM to make sure that that backup was almost of the same quality as the as the starter. Um, not necessarily because I thought this was ever going to happen, but because, you know, if you do have, a, you know, goalie injuries, injuries are not necessarily uncommon. They're especially not un, uncommon when you, you know, your goalies are both above the age of 30. So we'll, you know, we'll keep an eye on things. But man, this is a... It's a real weird situation for the Bruins in a in a postseason where you know this could easily be their last shot with this current group. Like you know, Chara is forty two, uh, Patrice Bergeron is thirty six. I think David Krejci is thirty four. Like all of these guys are getting up there in years, and while you do have a lot of good younger players on the roster, your core is still one of the oldest in the league. That's not to say they're, they're not good, but you can only bank on them staying that good for so long. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's their last shot, um, especially with all the uh, extra rest they've gotten this year. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Um, so I, I don't think it's their last shot, but yeah, the, the timer's ticking, definitely. Yeah. Let's move on to the Boston Celtics. Uh, the Celtics bench lost to the Washington Wizards by a final score of 96-90. Uh, I say their bench because pretty much nobody who was a starter uh, appeared in a Celtics uniform uh, for the Celtics in this one. Uh, the only one of the the sort of core group of the Celtics that dressed for this game was Gordon Hayward, who did not get into the game at all. Um, got a good game from Tremont Waters this in this one. Um, I had an okay game from Romeo Langford, which we'll talk about in a minute because unfortunately he uh, left the game with injury. Uh, other than that, I mean, there's really nothing to talk about in this game. This was a meaningless game from the, for the Celtics. They had locked themselves into the third spot in the East, uh, basically about halfway through the, the round robin. Um, I think it was the win over that they had over the Raptors where they basically sealed themselves into the third spot in the East. Um, they played exceptionally well um, through most of the, the, the seeding games, which actually has me feeling pretty good about this team uh, going into the, the actual playoffs. Yeah. Um, they be, We record on Saturdays, of course, so they begin their series against the Philadelphia 76ers tonight, which we'll talk about in a minute. But as far as this game is concerned, I mean, this is a situation where Washington basically had no chance of making the playoffs. They had to win every single one of their uh, their seeding round games and have uh, a couple of other people lose to be able to even have a shot at making it in. Um, because the Celtics had already um, been in a situation where they were locked into the third, 
They didn't play Campbell Walker. They didn't play Jalen Brown. They didn't play, um, you know, Jason Tatum. They didn't even play, um, I don't even think they played, played Rob Williams in this one, who is their backup center. Uh, they There was a lot of uh, Vincent Poirier and Taco Fall and, uh, you know, a lot of other players who have been with the team of the bubble, but have not gotten pretty much any playtime as the, uh, the core really kind of gets itself together to, uh, to be able to, you know, be able to make a, a push towards the postseason. Uh, to correct myself, the, um, the Philadelphia Boston series doesn't start until Monday because there were two, um, rep, there were two play in games, uh, that were scheduled for, uh, this weekend. Basically, Memphis and Portland have to play each other twice uh, to figure out seeding. Memphis has to, basically, if Portland wins tonight, they will automatically be able to make the playoffs. If Memphis wins two in a row, they'll take over the eighth spot in the West. So Monday is when the actual playoffs start for good in, uh, in the NBA. So that's when, is that when the next uh, Celtics game is, or is that still Sunday? That's going to be still today. Monday is is when the next Celtics game. Is oh, okay. okay. Uh, Memphis is playing. Memphis and Portland play tonight and tomorrow night, and then the first round of the playoffs starts on Sunday. I actually don't know what the schedule looks like for Sunday uh, at the moment. I don't see it on the NBA website, although I'm sure if I did some digging, I could find it. Regardless, uh, I'm looking forward to the series. Um, We'll do a little bit of a preview in a second, but I, I like the way that the Celtics have played in the bubble. Uh, they've been scoring like crazy. Their transition defense was really bad for the first few games, but yeah. they've subsequently turned out to you know be able to get a few things together. Daniel Tice is definitely going to cost too much to retain um, when his contract is up, I think, after next season. But for now, excuse me, for now, they're in pretty good shape. Uh, as mentioned, Romeo Langford left the game versus the Wizards. Uh, he sprained his wrist uh, with nine minutes or so uh, left to go in the game. Uh, unfortunately, that means that he's probably not going to be available for the game on, on Monday. Uh, Langford has been actually pretty good as the backup point guard um, for them. So uh, it's likely that we'll be seeing a lot of Brad Wanamaker in that spot uh, instead of Langford. Um, there's not a lot of indication because this injury happened so recently as to how long he was going, he's going to be out. Um, Brad Stevens was apparently not asked about for an update on Langford after the game. Um, so, so far nobody really knows where he's going. I have to say, you know, considering he was their first round draft pick this year, you know, at a position where they had a bunch of depth, there wasn't a lot of anticipation that he was going to get into games anyway, but he's turned out to be a pretty good defensive guard for them so far in the bubble. So, I really did kind of want to see him available for them, even if I didn't think they were going to likely use him very much. It, it it looks to me like the Celtics are probably going to run, on average, probably about an eight-man rotation with either Enos Cantor or Rob Williams as the backup center. Um, and that I, I don't think that Lankford would have gotten into games much at all as it is. So not a huge deal. Otherwise, they're pretty healthy. Even Kevin Walker, who's been dealing with a, a you know pretty nasty knee injury for most of the season, has looked really good over the last few games in uh, in the seeding round. So I'm fully expecting them to be all hands on deck uh, going into the series against the Sixers, which let's talk about right now because the Sixers in, are in kind of a weird situation. Um, they have underachieved all year. They underachieved in the bubble, and they just lost their second best player. Uh, ben Simmons uh, is out for the remainder of the postseason with a knee injury. He had to get... Uh, arthroscopic surgery done on his knee, I believe Friday of last week. Um, but it's a situation that is a little bittersweet for the Celtics because not because even though he is by far one of their best defenders, he's also an offensive liability. Um, the Sixers generally are a much better offensive team with him off the floor than they are with him on it. Um, that does also mean, by the way, that you're likely to see a lot more Al Horford in this series than you might have otherwise. Uh, obviously, the Sixers signed Horford to a great big contract after last postseason, um, which was disappointing for you and I because both of us thought that he was pretty important to the, the Celtics last season. Yeah. Well, probably not so much last season, but the season before when they when they had a great deal of success uh, without Kyrie while Kyrie was injured. Yes. Um, 
So this is going to be a real this interesting situation. This could easily be sort of, you know, Al Horford, uh, you know, coming up big against his old team, which I, I got to be honest with you. I'm not really uh, all that excited to see. The other interesting thing about this one is really nobody knows the kind of shape that Joel Embiid is in. Uh, Embiid obviously is Philadelphia's best player and is considered to be one of the best players in the league. But also he's got he's a guy who has a a real problem with uh, with conditioning and injury, which you know I mm. can't imagine that would have gotten a whole lot better in the bubble. But of course I could be wrong. Um, Boston is in a situation where they don't really have a good matchup for him at center. Um, Amos Cantor is an absolute liability in the post, um, but they could just basically put him out there to score and just let, you know, uh, Embiid get whatever he wants for points. Daniel Tice is a, a pretty good defender, but is somebody who is likely to be over-muscled by, uh, by um, Joel Embiid, who is considerably taller than Daniel Tice is. Uh, and Robert Williams, frankly, is just not a complete player right now when it comes to to center. He's got the mass and the speed to be able to make it work, but he still kind of makes rookie mistakes in his second year. Um, I'll be very interested to see what Brad Stevens tends to do with this. My suspicion is that they're basically going to put him in a situation where he's going to have to be the one to score, that they'll basically put him one-on-one with either Rob Williams or uh, Daniel Tice, and just let them do what they can and then basically take away anybody else's ability to shoot, um, which frankly should work pretty well against a Philly team that does, you know, not really have a whole lot of outside shooting. They've got Tobias Harris. Obviously, Al Holford can shoot from the outside, but generally doesn't like to. And you and I both know takes forever to wind up for his shots. Yes. I've seen siege engines that take less time to set up than, than Al Horford for threes. <laughs> And in the Celtic system, that can work because the Celtics are very, very good at spacing. The Brett Brown Sixers have, you know, low-key been one of the worst teams in the league in terms of figuring out their offensive spacing. So I'll be real interested to see how this game goes. I do expect that the Celtics will win this series. Um, And I feel like it could be a situation where obviously they could lose, but I feel like that the most obvious outcome is either a six-game victory or like a four-game victory. Like it, it could even, you know, I, I could see a circumstance under which the Celtics could manage a sweep in this one if Joel Embiid is just, you know, not really up to the task of, of handling the entire offensive load and they can take away everybody else. Wow. Is this Possible. a series that you're interested in at all? Um, I'm interested in it only for the matchup with Al, honestly. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, that's, he's than... been pretty bad for them this season, but also we happen to know, we know that, Alf Horford is a guy who can take time off during the regular season. Yeah. He hasn't been especially good for them in the bubble, but also they didn't really have a lot to play for. They were, you know, most of the East was locked into seeding within a few games of the beginning of the, of the, of the play in round. So. Well, I I would like, I would like him to be completely average for these games just to remind us that it was not that bad of a thing that he left. I mean, the thing about Al Horford is, I think that he was a player that especially worked well for the Celtics because it helped to have somebody who was a good outside defender and who was, you know, good at spacing, but didn't necessarily need to be an interior threat where I don't think that he's an especially good fit in Philadelphia in part because they already kind of had the defense thing down, but their offense really isn't going to be helped by a six foot 10 guy who can shoot from the outside if you give him 30 seconds and, you know, clear space. If he can if so, he can shift gears to get into it. That's what it always right. feels like. It feels like he gets there and then he has to shift down, basically, or something. You know what I mean? Like, takes that amount of time. Yeah, it's... I'm not kidding when I say that it just takes him forever to set up. I mean, I think I counted once and it took him something like eight seconds to fully set up for a three-point shot. Chase. And in the Celtic system, he used to be able to get it because Brad Stevens was very good at baiting people to the outside to leave him with that wide open three from the top of the key. I don't see Brad willing to give him that time because obviously he knows the player well enough to know what his strengths are offensively. So, you know, again, I fully expect the Celtics to win this one. And honestly, I feel like it could be, you know, you know me, I'm not somebody who likes to be overconfident when it comes to these things, but I feel like the Celtics are in a situation where they could hand the, the Sixers a real devastating you know uh series loss 
either way, like I do feel like they could they could have a entirely different uh, head coach to face off against next season if Brett Brown doesn't go much deeper in the playoffs than I think he's going to this season. You think it's uh, is that touchy for him right now? He almost got fired after last season because this is a group that you know they're in a situation where they're gonna they've already paid a lot of people a lot of money and they haven't really been able to get a whole lot out of him. And they brought him in in part because they thought he could make it work between Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, who are just awful on the floor together. They do not fit under any circumstances. You have two guys that are basically interior scorers and a team that has no idea of how to space to be able to get that and get them the space to be able to get to that interior. Um, it's just it really has not worked with them. Honestly, I feel like one of two things is going to happen. Either Brett Brown is going to go. Or they're going to trade Ben Simmons. And frankly, I think it's far more likely that they're going to, you know, fire the coach that was not the hire of the current GM than it is that they're going to get rid of their second, you know, their second best player. Even though, frankly, I think the best thing that they could do would be to get rid of, you know, their uh, their second best player. I don't feel like those two guys are a fit together. I think it would make a lot more sense to take one of those assets and, you know, choose to build around one and with the other, go out and get the pieces that you need to be able to, to do that building. But we'll see. Yeah, I'm Honestly, I kind of hope they don't because, of course, they are a divisional rival to the Celtics, who I root for. So as long as they continue to be dysfunctional, I feel much better about the, uh, about the Celtics' chances. Do you think this bubble changes anything about the usual feelings of uh, postseason basketball where it's usually dominated by a couple teams? Um, not really. Uh-huh. I have to be honest with you, like aside okay. from the low end of the West, which frankly, I don't think has a whole lot of a chance. This postseason was pretty well structured well before we even got into this bubble. So I would imagine that a lot of it is going to be dependent mostly on injury, but that's true in or outside of the bubble. Like yeah. I could see a circumstance under which the, which the Clippers roll everybody. I could see a situation under which the Lakers roll everybody. I could see a circumstance under which both teams, because they're built largely of players who are old and have injury histories, get entirely destroyed through injury, and it ends up being somebody else that wins. Um, but I don't think any of those are, are bubble-dependent, I guess, is, is the point. I do think the narratives are going to be a little bit different, in part because it's a lot easier to watch the playoff, to watch every game of the playoffs right now, because everything is going on at once. I mean... Aside from, you know, today and tomorrow, there have been four or five games that have been on sequentially in this bubble the whole time, which means that if you're, you know, if you're a media person, it's a lot easier to pay attention to everybody if you just have to sit down on the couch and watch 12 straight hours of basketball. And I think that one of the reasons that those narratives develop is because it's a lot easier if you're a, if you are a, um, a media member, it's a lot easier to choose the games that you want to watch based on when they're taking place and then build your narrative around the teams that you chose to watch. Does that I make sense? You. Yeah, I got you on that one. Yeah. So we'll see. And honestly, I will say the one thing about having it in the bubble, which is that taking travel out of the equation has made it so that the games can be closer together and also higher quality because you don't have the stresses of travel involved. And so these games have actually been pretty entertaining, I have to say. So, you know, I have a League Pass subscription. I have been tuning in to watch every now and then when I have some downtime. And aside from the teams that had nothing to play for, like some of these teams have been, like Portland, for instance, which is, you know, on that bubble down at the bottom of the East, like they've been real entertaining to watch, even in situations where they're playing against teams they lose against, they at least try. Which, you know, that hasn't been true at the end of seasons a lot. Okay. All right. Let's go. Let's move on, unfortunately, to the Boston Red Sox, who are god-awful this year. Yeah. They are currently down to a record of 6-14 and 14 with a, what, what was it last night? A 10-2, to 10-3 uh, loss to the New York Yankees. Jeez. They have given up 52 runs in their last four games they lost 17 to 6 to tampa bay previous to i believe their, uh, pitching, their pitching is awful their, their pitching ira is 5.4 i want to try to say off the top of my head it's it's bad it's the worst i think i've ever seen and you know 
I realize that not everybody else is playing particularly well. JD Martinez had an exceptionally bad game last night. That said, like, I don't know what you're supposed to do with this pitching staff. I'm fairly certain that they should fire everybody who even w- was involved in putting this pitching staff together because I'm pretty sure they could get a bunch of of, of the kids off the street to come in and pitch better than this. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I found it kind of um, funny that um, indivi- like individual players are now uh, saying it's a good night if their stats are okay. You know what I mean? Like if they go not three for three, then they're like, it was a good night. We lost by 10 runs, but it was a good night. Right. I mean, I feel like they have a sense of powerlessness over whether or not they can they can win because the pitching has been so bad. Um, and man, like, I don't know. I, I got to be honest with you. Like I am, I've been... In terms of watching, I've been one of those people who just kind of pretends that this baseball season is not happening because I can't stand to watch these this, this team. Like, not only are they bad, they're bad, and it takes forever for them to lose because they can't get anybody out. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. But they it's... have given up greater than eight runs for five straight games. Basically, you have to go back to Sunday of last week for the last time they had somebody enter eight, and they gave up five then. Like it, they are just the worst team to watch right now. They really are. Yeah, is I, you know, painful. it's not like and like it's not like they're not letting people on base either. Like these aren't situations where people are scoring quickly. You know, they're grinding on innings and grinding on innings and grinding on innings, which means that it's a situation where not only are they losing, they're taking forever to lose. So it's just boring to watch them lose. This is the worst kind of like loop, the worst kind of losing, right? Like if yeah, they if they lost really quick. And it was still a close game. You know what I mean? Because, like, a quick game would mean that it was close. Yeah. They lost or by that, one you know, or something. It was some sort of, like, a defensive like a defensive duel between the two of them. Or even, you know, even if it was a situation where they were losing badly, but there were, you know, guys that they were bringing in that you wanted to see develop, that might be a different story. But this is the same team that they've had for the last three years now, aside from yeah. the loss of Boogie Betts, who, you know, the less said about that, the better. And, and I, and I, I, mean, I get – Take it with a grain of salt because weird year, but I f- kind of feel like everyone's gone back at, at least like two steps, if not three. You know what I mean? Development wise, like Ben Benintendi oh, no, looks I, atrocious yeah. out there now. No, I, I absolutely agree with you. Like Ben Benintendi went from one of the best prospects in the major leagues two years ago to he might be out of the league next year. Yeah, I, I'm not, you know, like he's been abysmally bad for a guy who had that level of pedigree coming in. And that guy's got a World Series ring. Like, it's not like he doesn't know what it's like to yeah. win. It's just, I I get the distinct impression that, A, I think that the, the, the storm around Alex Cora is a lot worse than we have been led to believe because we've, we've heard a few players that were with, um, were, were with them a couple of years ago <clears throat> talk about the fact that Cora was not a particularly popular manager. And honestly, if they were winning, I didn't care. But... If they, you know, if they're not winning and he's unpopular, it might be a situation where they cut bait with him sooner rather than later. Especially considering we don't know what's, if anything if anything further is going to be happening with the uh, with the Astros situation. So, wait, why is, why are we talking about Cora? There, but like, uh, who was it? Joe Kelly apparently came out and like mouthed off about. Uh, about Alex Cora earlier this week. Right. And from the set, if anything that he's saying is true, like the, he's not popular with the players right now. And if they're bad and he's expensive, I can see them getting rid of him if they're, he's failing to develop them, I guess is what I'm saying. But Cora's gone, isn't he? Am I thinking of something is... totally different? Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm having a complete brain fart. I forgot that he had resigned. <laughs> I told you, I've been kind of pretending this entire season is not happening. Who is their manager? I completely forgot. Regardless, I mean, this is a situation where just nobody, like, this entire season is awful. This season is awful. It's, it's awful. Are, are they out of it at this point with 16 losses? No, I guess they wouldn't be technically. Technically, I think they have to at least get to the 25-game mark to be officially eliminated. But they have a 300 winning percentage, and they're seven and a half games back out of the out of the uh, the AL East and five and a half games back in the wild card standing. So I guess technically they could make it up, but I mean, they have a minus 34 run differential right now in 20 games. Yeah. They, they don't have, well, they have zero pitching, right? Absolutely no pitching. Their, their scoring has been, their hitting has been 
very spotty at best. Right. And, they are and not I love at the how the bottom in run scored for the AL East, but you wouldn't expect them to be with the roster they have. I, I love how they they're blaming part of it on the new rule where they can't look at video of of the at bats. Because, like, JD's been going on and on about that. And and most of the narrative for at least, like, last week or something like that, they were basically building up that aspect. Like, yeah, they can't go in and look at their stuff now. It's like, I'm I don't, sorry, I don't know if that would have... really help all that much. Yeah, but come on. You can't have a situation where you have one of the highest, you know, one of the highest salaries in baseball. You got rid of a guy who was the best player in baseball because you thought he was going to be too expensive. And you're in the last place in the AL East. I'm sorry, that's not going to fly with this fan base. Well, As a matter of fact, let's talk about that right now because sure. uh, this the chairman of the uh, the Boston Red Sox uh, came out this week and uh, Tom Werner said that the Sox don't have enough pieces to compete. I'm like, my dude, you are spending a hundred and ninety something million dollars on this roster right now. Like you traded away your best player for what amounted to a bag of balls and the potential of a decent pitcher who let's just let's, be clear let's be real. has been awful. Yeah. Let's be real. He's been nothing. He's been terrible. He's been nothing. I, like, I, I'm sorry. Like <laughs> you joking. cannot have a situation where you have such a bad off season. And then you come out and claim that you don't have enough pieces to work with when this team has mostly the same players that it had when it won the, the World Series two years ago. Well, and you're relying. I'm on, sorry, that is not going to fly. You're, you're relying on a player to do what a pit, like a batting coach should be doing, honestly. Yeah, I mean, what in the world did they that he think that this quote was going to do? I mean. He said, oh, we expect to field the competitive team each year. I would hope so. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> is your plan not to? I mean, I mean, I believe this team still has dead money from getting rid of Panda on its on its roster because they specifically paid him to go away. Like, my dude, like, that is not an excuse for this team. You knew the pitching was bad last year. Like, everybody was wondering what you were going to do about the pitching. And basically, the most significant thing that happened about pitching this year is – Eovaldi got COVID and can't participate in the season. <clears throat> you did exactly nothing to, to, to remedy the major problem that this team had. And it is now clearly showing that it's, that it's a problem. Yeah. A much bigger problem than I think they thought. I think they thought they honestly could get by with who they had. And I don't know if that actually calls for somebody's job at that point, to be honest, because that's, I mean, you remember they brought in somebody to replace uh, to they to replace Charrington. Uh, they brought in mm-hmm. uh, what is his name? Um, oh, for goodness sakes! I can't believe I can't think of the Red Sox general manager's name right now. We've talked about it before. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't even know what it starts with to tell the truth. Brian O'Halloran. Oh, what? Okay. Who who works for Heim Bloom? Who is the uh, you know the guy who is functionally in charge of the Red Sox as an organization. He's the chief baseball officer for the Boston Red Sox. But, like, you cannot – this is not a – you know, Boston is not a town that is going to pay attention to losers. Not anymore. Like, not no. after the 2000s happened. Yeah, no. You have a situation where the Patriots have been good every year. You know, the the Celtics went for – were basically bad for all of, like, two seasons – and have been in the playoffs at least ever since then, and been in the finals, uh, in the conference finals, like three times since then. The the Bruins were in the Stanley Cup finals last year. Like, you cannot field a bad team in this town and expect people to pay attention to you. I, it just, it's stunning to me that the, that, the, that, the, that this is, that they just didn't feel the need to, to fix this. Now, maybe they think that, you know, they can get away with being bad for a year and retool after that, but like, man, I... I got to be honest with you. I just don't see it happening unless they find, somehow manage to find a way to develop some talent. And nobody on this team is developing, and they don't have a they don't have a minor league team to develop. This no, they're, they're all because, going backwards, like I said. Yeah, like I, I honestly don't know. Like my my only assumption that I can make from this is that they're in a situation where they didn't because they didn't expect COVID to happen. They were completely unprepared to deal with the fact that they could not develop players the way that they normally would. 
And it would be one thing if they had basically just paid a whole bunch of people to sit and brought up the contents of what was the uh, the Paw Sox last year to to see how they could do at the at the major league level. But they didn't. They went out and they signed a bunch of mediocre dudes, and then hung on to those mediocre dudes while those dudes were less than mediocre. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I, like, I mean, it's a bad team. It's bad to watch, and I'm done with it. To to be like, honest, like, even if they could develop the the normal way, was there anybody in their system pitching wise that was even like above average? I don't know their farm system that well. I do remember that they they did go out and they got a couple of guys into their farm system last year that were supposed to be prospects for the future, but especially in baseball. Prospects only get you so far. Like you have to be able to develop them into actual players. And I have to be honest with you, I don't know who they've got down with the Pawsocks right now, but I don't feel like they brought up a reasonable pitching candidate in forever. Like who was the last person? I mean, Eduardo Rodriguez, is he the last person they brought up that was, you know, even remotely decent as a pitcher? Yes. I, I, I think you would have to say him. And even Erod is basically, you know, I mean, Lord love him. I, I, I think he has done the 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 Lord's work in in some of the stuff that he's done. <coughs> excuse me, in the postseason for them, but he's, you know, he's not exactly an ace. So, man, I, like you got to expect that they they've got to get something something going, and maybe it's harder this season because you don't have a minor league team to play with, but. At the very least, if you're going to be bad, be bad and interesting. And they're not even—they're not even that right now. I guess at the very least, without the minor league, they can't hide players down there. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they're—they're they're all basically stuck for them to watch. But you know, you're not playing in a bubble. You can cut people, and you probably should. I would start with pretty much anybody in the bullpen right now. <laughs> I would—I would start with most of the starting pitchers too, honestly. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Uh, Ron Renicky, by the way, is the manager whose name I could not remember. Okay. So, there you go. All right, let's move on to the Patriots, who are actually kind of surprisingly intriguing for this upcoming season. Uh, They did make a signing this week. They signed Lamar Miller to a uh, salary of one year with a base salary of $1.05 million. He can earn up to a total of $2.5 million through incentives. Uh, Miller is a 29-year-old running back who missed all of 2019 during injury, but was a very good running back before that. Um, he was placed on the pup list immediately upon signing, which is not a good sign. But this strikes me as a situation where they basically want at least a little bit of insurance uh, if Sony Michelle is just not going to work for them. Uh, this strikes me as one of those deals where because they have so much cap to play with, they basically spent it on a guy who might be good and who was good once. But if he's not, like, he cost them $1 million and they have $30 million in cap space to work with. So I, I, I don't mind this signing at all. Um, for what it's worth, if he can get himself healthy, Lamar Miller was ridiculous for the, for the Dolphins and the Texans. Um, whether or not he can come up, but his injury was a tor- torn ACL. And those are always extremely difficult to come back from as far as running backs are concerned. And he's almost 30. I, I have a um, nagging concern about injuries this year anyways. Yeah. I'm I mean, really that's questioning. I'm really questioning the, the conditioning and stuff that the players are going to have uh, coming it, into this season. Because their, their, their workout routine is going to be so different from it has been. Yeah. In the past. I think that is an entirely reasonable concern. Like, I will say the Patriots seem to be one of the teams that is handling, holding up a little bit better under the current environment in large part, because I think they sort of saw that it was coming and, and did some planning ahead of time. Uh, And look, I I will say this, like if I had to trust a coach to be able to be flexible in the face of a series of injuries, you know, Belichick is probably the best possible guy that you can have. Like there's a reason that everybody thinks that New England is plug and play, even though it really isn't. And that's in large part because, Belichick is willing to adapt his style to what he has as opposed to what he used to have. Um, so we'll see. But I have to say, like, if spending this money, you, you asked during the regular podcast last week what they'd use some of this cap space on. And honestly, like, this strikes me as the kind of signing that makes a lot of sense. They're bringing in a guy who was previously good, had an, a major injury, has been rehabbing ever since then. And if it doesn't work, they just get rid of him. 
and it costs them nothing. It's a one-year deal. It means absolutely nothing to them. You know, the, the, the money is not really what they're concerned with. It's really the more the performance. So I like this signing. Uh, we had an odd situation where a rookie retired earlier this week. Uh, Dustin Woodard, who was a center that was taken by them in the seventh round of the NFL playoffs, announced his retirements in this, this week. Um, this is not terribly surprising from one standpoint, which is there was very little chance that Woodard was going to make the roster. Um, you know, he was picked pretty late. Uh, he was at best going to be a depth center for them, and then they went out and they signed a, a center off the street. It is a little surprising to me that he announced his retirement. Um, normally, guys like this will at least leave the opportunity open to sign on to somebody else's practice squad, but I'm going to guess that, um, you know, he feels like he, he has other things to do other than play at the NFL level. Uh, the Patriots also did lose another rookie they released <clears throat> under undrafted free agent defensive end Nick Coe. Uh, I know absolutely nothing about Co, so I really can't say a whole lot about that. Uh, the Patriots did sign Tyler Gauthier earlier this week to the center position, uh, which, according to the article that I'm reading from MassLive.com, probably had a lot to do with uh, with um, Woodard's decision to retire. Last bit of news that I have for you about the Patriots is, well, Cam Newton, who we have not really talked about at all. Um, Cam Newton, of course, was signed by the New England Patriots to a very, very low contract a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there have been a lot of people who started questioning how Cam would fit in New England, and to which I have to ask, why would you wonder that? Like, does this seem weird to you at all, that people have been concerned that Cam Newton might not be a fit in New England? Um... Uh, no, I, I don't think that that's a odd thing. I, they usually question every quarterback that goes anywhere, that that question. I guess. Maybe it's just because, you know, Cam well, they, Newton is going to a guy who absolutely hates it when his players talk to the media, and Cam Newton really likes to talk to the media. Well, in, in like, they they haven't known anything for 20 years <laughs> Other than other one than guy. Most bland interviews possible. Yeah, so like like any other thing is, is a question mark for them, right? Yeah, I guess that's true. I, I mean, I, I will say that like most of the questions that I've seen have been more from national people than they are have been from local people. Like most of your beat writers and stuff like that are super psyched to have Cam Newton on the Patriots. And I have to say, I kind of agree with them. Like this could be a real interesting season. That's because they're psyched that somebody might actually say something. (laughs) Not only that, but like Cam Newton, when he's healthy, and of course that is the the big caveat when he's healthy is one of the most electrifying players in the league. Like the stuff that he can do physically is bananas. Like Cam Newton, you know, run around with a Superman tattoo and a Superman shirt for years. And with good reason, like that dude can throw, he can run, he is exceptionally hard to tackle. Like this is, a, this could be an amazing season if you're a Patriots fan and he stays healthy. But could of be. course, there's that qual- caveat if he stays healthy because he hasn't basically been healthy yeah. since 2015. <laughs> He's also been playing for the Carolina Panthers, who I'm sorry are not a very good organization, and I would have to expect that their team doctor probably isn't as good as what the Patriots have. So, but, I'm but, then, but then there's that question mark about health of players and conditioning and stuff that I have. Yeah. So. He, he fits I'm, very I'm, nicely into that narrative, honestly. <laughs> but if you told me, if you had told me, you know, six months ago that uh, when, you know, if you told me that when Tom Brady decided that he was going to leave the Patriots, that it was going to be a lost season for them, you know, I would have been disappointed, but it wouldn't have been terribly surprising to have them go out and be able to afford Cam Newton, much less be able to bring him in. I have to be honest with you, provides a little bit of an excitement for a season that otherwise I would have been a little bit disinterested in. All right, that's fair. I'm interested in it just to see what Brady does, honestly. I I want the answer to that whole question, which one was causing the other one's success. I mean, or were I, they, or were they just both the that, that damn good? Both. Right. Honestly. I mean, I'm intrigued by the idea that it could be both. I, I do think the one thing about Brady is that he did go to the one situation I think that was probably the best for him outside of New England. He, he's stepping into a situa- situation where it is a high-powered offense with a lot of offensive weapons b- around him with a coach who is generally known to be an intelligent offensive uh, performer. Um, so the, I, I think the likelihood of, it, of him succeeding there to at least a certain degree is quite strong. I do think that Belichick is in a situation where 
there are I, like because of the people who he has on the roster, right? Because there aren't that many, you know, one hundred percent lead pipes, lead pipe cinch blue chippers on the roster. If he just manages to win the AFC East, that people are just going to go, oh, it's Belichick again. He's still being one of the best quarterback, you know, one of the best coaches of all time. So I, I do see a circumstance under which both both sides of the equation succeed. You know, and I think that, you know, when you look at the fact that these two guys won six Super Bowls together, that that makes a lot of sense, that it was in some extent, you know, to some extent, not just one or the other, but both. So you want to know, you want to know one of the things that's been going through my mind? What's that? That's not really related to the football season, but kind of related to the to the Patriots. Okay. Uh, what ha- what what's happening to TV twelve? Um, you know how I mean, they I have think... that center that you know Brady's yeah. whole method and his doctor and all that crap. Like, what's happening to that? Is that is that being allowed to stay on their premise? I question. I don't know. I mean, I would imagine that like any other business that he, he is charged rent, and so as long as there's a business agreement in place, that it'll probably stay there. That said, I can't imagine that it's going to like change to Tampa Bay colors anytime soon. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, that would that would be something, huh? Right. Oof. Uh, it was just a I mean, weird thought that went through my head. I mean, I will say one thing about the Brady thing that I've said before, which is that if it had to end, quote unquote, badly with Brady, this is about as well as it could have gone to end badly with, right? Like, there aren't a lot of there isn't a lot of sniping between him and and the Patriots. This is, he didn't go to a division rival. He didn't even stay in the same conference. He went to a team they're not going to face during the regular season. Pretty much the only way that he could come back to haunt the Patriots this season is if the Patriots made the playoffs, which I got to be honest with you. If you told people that Brady would, you know, would leave the team and they would make the Super Bowl anyway and have to face off against Brady, I think most Pats fans would be okay with that. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping for it, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, and there's a possibility that it could happen because – you know, the, the, because they went out and they got somebody who could be maybe not just as good as Brady, but certainly good enough to be able to, to do extremely well for them if he stays healthy. So I, I, I think that the Patriots have done a good job in, in, his, in during Brady's departure of making a team that I am at least interested to see. That's fair. All right. Um, let's move on to some national news. Probably the most notable bit of national news is, has been college football. College football is in absolute chaos right now. Um, basically two major, uh, division one conferences, the big 10 and the PAC 12, both announced that they will not play football this fall. Yeah. Uh, the SEC and the ACC are, are hoping to move ahead, but it leaves them in an odd situation where, you know, the scheduling is completely messed up because, these schedules are generally set a couple of years in advance. So Texas and Iowa State, for instance, now who are a, a, a SEC and an ACC team respectively, now need to go out and uh, excuse me, they're both Big Twelve teams. My bad. Uh, they does not. They would basically go have to go out and redo all of their schedules. Um, even the Big Twelve doesn't necessarily know that all of its teams are going to participate. The Big Twelve still apparently has not received any kind of communication from Nebraska as to whether or not uh, they will be, you know, to, to, uh, taking part. Um, I, it's a weird situation. You even have a situation where there was a report that came out this week that a bunch of, uh, of college students were basically trying to band together in common action again. Not so much because they wanted to get paid this time, but because they wanted to guarantee uh, minimum standards for COVID testing. And I have to be honest with you, like, you know, this is a weird situation where the NCAA, the football, college football in specific, has basically been built specifically to leave the NCAA out of any kind of position of power. Most of the football runs through an organization called the BCS, and the BCS is built in such a way that it literally has no power over anything other than the football postseason. So, yeah, I, I have to say I don't blame the, the players in this case. Because I would imagine, for instance, that if you go to a big school like Alabama, for instance, <clears throat> that you might have a lot more money for your school's COVID testing than you would if you went to, you know, like Appalachian State or something like that. So, man, it's 
I, like I'm really wondering whether or not this this season is even going to happen for college football, and they're supposed to basically start next week. I, I think. Yeah, I honestly think that the college stuff should should be put on hold. Should just not happen. I, I this think year. it should, but I mean, I think this is also a situation where a lot of these schools really do rely on the money that these football teams bring in. Well, not not even just the schools, like the uh, the areas themselves uh, rely a lot on the influx yeah. of uh, you know tourists basically that come in mm-hmm. but it's yeah, hard to have a tourist to... business season this this year it is, it's it's just rough <laughs> yeah so like i get where everybody is i i get that the schools rec- get a lot of money from it i mean even to talk a little local I, you know uh franklin pierce is primarily like an athletic school so to speak mm-hmm. uh when it comes to scholarships and stuff like that so it's like you know, their their seasons have already been canceled as well. So they're you can see the I won't say panic, but you can see that they're definitely questioning where money's gonna come from for this year. Because you don't want the year to be a complete like red situation, you know? Right. It's uh it's gonna be an interesting situation because man, I just do not really see a situation under which you could do this safely if not everybody is going to be applying the same standards of testing and frankly even if they are i mean i i i've known a lot of college kids in my time and frankly most of them weren't really responsible enough to stay away from other people well well, yeah and that's the thing like when when it comes to the nfl i can i think the nfl can do it because they don't have to attend classes as well right you know i mean like there's a whole nother aspect of this that it is college. They do need to go to classes. They do need to, like, even if they're remote learning the entire year, let's say. They need to at least put up the uh, the the facade that these kids are learning. Yeah, well, they need to put up the facade. But, like, even if they are remote learning the entire time, so they don't have to leave their dorms per se, there's mm-hmm. still the aspect of college life, going out letting out stress and stuff like that from the week from classes. And especially I'm sure the football players have to like, you know, have something to do other than football to, to Mm -hmm. get their mind off of it. So like all of that together, I, whereas the NFL, I think there's going to be enough people there. The other players who are going to be, don't mess this up for us because they can also, there is a financial aspect to, you know, the, the players wanting to maintain their health because they're, you know, they make money in part based yes. on the idea that they have to stay healthy. And, and like college kids can't make money off of themselves. So I, I, I think it should have just been stopped with on the college level and, and just, and just moved on from there. Like, yeah, I, I don't even think the conversation should be, should be, spoken at this point like it should have just been like yeah we're we're just gonna call it it's okay we understand we understand the huge hit that's going to be for everything the school the area the the kids because they you know they won't get their videos and 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 talent uh scouted and stuff like that i you know all that stuff is bad but i it, what's worse i think is if one of these places have a covid problem yeah, and like oh, absolutely, if major league a, baseball couldn't outbreak. Major league baseball couldn't even make it a week before they start having problems. Oh, I know. Like that. So what is, is there a college any sport worse to... run than baseball right now? <laughs> I, I realize it's off topic, but holy crap, <laughs> it's just so bad. So like, if they couldn't do it, I I just don't see the 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 chance college sports have. Like, even if one of these go ahead, I'm expecting within the week that they're going to have an outbreak of some kind that's going to at the very least like in major league baseball really mess up the schedule. Yeah. I mean, they're already dealing with a messed up schedule in part because of, you know, because people like have UMass dropped out. out this week, for instance. Yeah. Like UMass was scheduled to play a bunch of other division one schools, maybe not, you know, the sec, but a bunch of other division one schools, UConn dropped out uh, last week. But I, I, so, I also think they're thinking about it in the wrong way because they, they want the competition and all that. I think they should just make two squads uh, out of their own football program, have it play each other every week. It right. might not be the same, but, like, at least you could kind of get that red versus blue kind of feeling. Like, which set of players do you think is better? Yeah, I guess. 
you know, if you, you know, two like that's what I thought that they should have been doing with these uh, competition sports. Um, but I that might be harder to do than than what I'm saying. Like, it, right. maybe they just don't have that talent pool, so it would be obvious, obviously bad. Although, since they always like blowouts anyways, put all the like C-list players on one team, put all your A and Bs on one team, and then just have blowouts every week. Everyone loves that in college football anyways. <laughs> I did have one thought, which is that I wonder how, since a lot of these are public universities, I wonder how many of them are just taking whatever money they have on hand and just immediately throwing it into a COVID vaccine research program. <laughs> None of them. I <laughs> All right. Uh, last thing I want to talk about today is the NHIAA, which is the uh, the Interscholastic Athletic Association here in New Hampshire, did announce the when sports will be allowed to start between public schools here, which again seems like an exceptionally bad idea to me, but that's what they're going to do. Uh, they they did break it down into tiers: uh, low risk, medium, moderate risk, and high risk for fall sports. Bass fishing and golf, unsurprisingly, on the uh, the low risk uh, tier. Those will be allowed to start September 10th. Moderate risk, which is, includes uh, cross-country, field hockey, soccer, un, uh, unified soccer, which is both uh, where it is uh, intersex, uh, and volleyball will be allowed to start September 18th. And football and spirit, which are considered high-risk sports, will be uh, allowed to start on September 25th. Really, the only surprise in this one for me is that field hockey was somehow considered to be low-risk, considering those girls are vicious. Um technically isn't it technically not a contact sport though it is technically not a contact sport in the same way that wrestling is technically a combat sport like <laughs> that might be the technical uh, uh written, you know definition but i don't think anybody thinks it's actually true maybe if they're playing uh, in hazmat suits yeah, there you go. I know that that was actually one of the things that was uh, that was considered ahead of the NFL season. By the way, was that they would adopt a full face mask, uh, like straight up N95 filter helmet for use with uh, with teams. That was one of the things they were looking into before the start of the season. So, I, I got to be honest with you. I don't see a circuit like if we get a second wave of infections, which at this point, a lot of people seem to think we're going to happen. I can't see a circumstance under which football will be allowed to continue. I will say that in New England, at least, the infection rates are low enough. I can understand why they're considering this. But, man, it just does not seem like a great idea to me. I don't know. I kind of feel like New Hampshire is going to be okay. I think it's, like, in the sweet spot. Even though we've got New York not that far away and Massachusetts basically trying to eat up all our resources... Um, right. I, I, I kind of like, we haven't had a real big problem yet. Um, other than what, like Nashua had like a kind of a spike. Nashua, Manchester point. and Concord have all had pretty major spikes, but all of them are basically along that same sort of, you know, extended stretch out of Boston. So yeah. They're, they're kind of like, yeah, too close to Massachusetts for, for their own good, so to speak. They're um, also, you know, they're also, you know, the, the places in the state have that have the highest population density. So not that surprising that they would have a, a problem with a pandemic. Yeah, that was the other thing I was going to bring up is that we're just not as dense as other spots. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I don't want to get into this too much because it depresses the hell out of me lately. Uh, but like, <laughs> um, I haven't had any problems social distancing inside my town. You know what I mean? Like sure. there, there isn't spots where there's so many people that I can't not. Well, and I think most businesses have been pretty good about, you know, at least saying that they require masks and encouraging their use where maybe that hasn't been true in other states. Well, I will say for having for a, a state that has a Republican governor, New Hampshire seems to have been remarkably sane about how it's handled a lot of this stuff. I ain't saying yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah so i i kind of feel like they'll be okay whether that whether that actually translates into them having the sports like yeah and maybe they shouldn't like tempt fate either that, that might be a good i thing guess the too. only one that really bothers me so much for the most part is football because it is a straight up contact sport and you do have teams that are going to be traveling within reasons of 
of New England. But they also may be making adjustments on the scheduling level. I can see a circumstance under which a team that would normally have played a team out of Manchester this year just decides that it's not worth it to play against them. Yeah. And that might, you know, take care of some of that too. I mean, just do that. Just have, if need be, just take more days off, you know, weeks off as opposed to traveling to Manchester and Concord and them. Right. I, I think there's a way to do it. I, I kind of question people's ability to think outside the box a little bit. I think that's fair. I mean, there are a lot of people who seem to think that things should just go back to normal and don't really consider the other options that may be out there for them. Yeah, I can. I but I I can understand the not wanting to not wanting to think outside the box to to just go back to normal. But yeah, that's fair. But. All right. In any event, I think that will do it for this week. Yeah. Uh, this has been the Unqualified Sports Show. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you have something else to say? No, no, no I'm just looking at the time. <laughs> Uh, okay. This has been the Unqualified Sports Show. You can follow this show and find other shows of ours at unqualifiednetworks.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at unqualifiednet. You can follow me at nsnitko, that is N-S-N-I-T-K-O on Twitter. You can follow Forrest at Forrest James. If you have the story that you'd like to share with us or you'd just like to provide us with some feedback, feel free to drop us a line at unqualifiednetworks at gmail.com, and we'll see you again soon.